So we have to shape story in a way that um, makes people care. And every story has to be human enough so that we can see ourselves reflected in the story. That's what stories are all about. And the buy-in for storytelling is when you can get someone to feel that the outcome affects them. You don't want them to be so removed from the story that they think the ending won't affect them one way or another. It has to be designed in order for that person to feel a personal stake in the outcome of the story. Hello, I'm Denise Withers, and you're listening to Forward, an interview series where today's leaders reveal how they use stories to make change and shape the future. If you need a new way to move forward towards your goals, then stay tuned, because I have just the story for you. Today's guest is the extremely talented Tracy Bacinas, and I've been looking forward to interviewing her for a long time. Tracy is an Emmy-nominated editor, director, writer, artist, and supermom who infuses story throughout her work and her life. And we're here in her beautiful home in Manitic, Ontario, with her dog, Bella, and her family. And welcome, Tracy. I'm really, really thrilled you have time to chat with me. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to talk to you. So I'm going to dive right in because you've got so much great experience that I really want to share with our listeners. And so, you know, in your career as a journalist and a filmmaker and an author, I know you've used story for everything from research, pitching and entertainment to education and advocacy. And as we've talked about many times, what we're often trying to do with stories, we're trying to change the way that people think and act, you know, what they what they feel and what they believe. And so I'd love it if you could share a couple of examples of your story work with us that have really moved people so that we can start to understand how you design stories and what makes right. them so powerful. Sure. So... Growing up in uh, South Georgia, uh, story was a way of life. I mean, that's you sit on the front porch, you tell stories, and uh, you go to church and you hear stories, and that is how we were taught what was expected of us, how to behave, uh, what our culture was. Uh, we learned about our ancestors and people who passed on before we arrived and just learned about family. And that is how you sort of grow roots there, as everyone tells the same stories. And, and I think it was a natural sort of thing for me to do, go into writing, go into journalism and carry on that tradition of just telling stories for a living, which I feel super lucky to be able to do. It wasn't always easy because you got to learn by messing up. And I, I was a journalism student at University of Georgia in the broadcast journalism program. And uh, I got a job while I was still in school working at uh, WNGM TV 34, which was like a little TV station in Athens. And I was a news reporter first. And um, I was sent out on a pretty serious assignment. There was a KKK rally, the Ku Klux Klan, along with like skinhead sort of neo-Nazi demonstrators doing a march outside of Atlanta in Hall County, I believe it was. And so I was sent to cover this. And I think I was like 19. It was pretty intimidating. And I arrived there with a camera operator and um, sound guy and get out. The National Guard is there, shields and batons and the police force and helmets and all these marching angry people. And in this crowd of grown-up anger and hatred, I see this five-year-old kid wearing a white gown with the hat. And I thought, there's my story. That's, that's who I want to hear from. I want to hear from the babe's mouth what this is all about and what he's being taught. And that will explain to me and everyone else how this 
generation of older people come to believe what they believe and demonstrate what they're demonstrating, this hatred. They're taught from a very young age. So I walk up to this young kid and I'm like, hello, son, can I ask you a couple of questions? And I lean over with my microphone and his dad steps up and his dad was the grand dragon of that chapter of the KKK and sort of gave me the leave my boy alone. And I said, well, you know, obviously you're proud of what you're teaching him to believe. And I just would love to hear from him. And I start to speak to the kid again. And the dad hits the microphone. The microphone hits my mouth. My lip starts bleeding. And I react in a hot-headed kind of way and get myself physically pulled off the story by the belt of my dress. The camera operator is like, you're, you go sit in the car now because <laughs> I lost my ability to tell the story. I was too passionate and too involved in my own story and my own emotions that I was, I was unable to stay objective, which you must do as a reporter, in order to gather all the parts and pieces of the story to communicate it to others. So that was my first lesson in how to keep your wits about you in order to, no matter how emotional a story is, and no, no matter how passionate you are about it, and no matter how much you want to make people see something, you have to stay cool and collected in order to get the media, get the information, get the perspectives from the people you want to talk to, so that you can then, in a calm and cool-headed way, put it together to share with the world and change minds and change hearts. And I love that example because right from the get-go, even though maybe it wasn't what you were supposed to be doing as a reporter, you went in with a change agenda. Yes, I did. I went in with a change agenda, which I was not supposed to do. But I really, really wanted people to understand because growing up in the South, growing up in South Georgia in a tiny town, I knew how people grew up to hate the other you're indoctrinated at such a young age. You learn it from your parents, your grandparents. You learn it from fear. You know, people tell you to be afraid of someone with skin of another color. Be afraid of somebody with a strange accent. And I, I wanted people from other places and from Georgia and the South to see how it happens. And maybe if we can see where it begins and how it begins, then we can change it. If we could, you know, understand that what we teach children is really, really important. And maybe, you know, I would, I would love to see those lessons incorporated into curriculums and in schools uh, at a young age to teach against racism, to teach inclusivity in kindergarten in the South, you know, so that even a five-year-old going home, listening to their parents and grandparents say hateful racist things, they have an alternative message coming from somewhere else where they can actually start to think for themselves, hey, maybe that's not right. Maybe they're wrong. Maybe grandpa's wrong. And story is a great way to do that. So obviously that was a really powerful experience for you. You know, here we are, you know, a lot of decades later <laughs> sharing that story. And so, so how did that affect your story practice? What, where did you take that? Well, it's interesting because, you know, I thought I wanted to be the next Barbara Walters and uh, be a reporter and uh, an anchor woman one day. And then from that experience, I realized that I wanted to have more control over the stories that I was telling. So I kind of went more into fiction and film and I went to study 
film media at the BAMP Center for the Arts and did a couple of documentaries about artists and worked on people's projects that they were they were more projects of the heart, you know, passion projects, and worked for a long time editing documentaries, writing documentaries, uh, and putting uh, stories together as a journalist would, but in a longer format. Because in a documentary, of course, you can get much deeper into a story than a three-minute news piece for broadcast news. So I was just interested in digging deeper. So I spent, uh, gosh, I don't know, 10, 20 years doing that, working in film and television, and uh, mostly as an editor, sometimes as a writer, sometimes as a director. And then I kind of got burnt out with the technology because as an editor, I came from, you know, film strips to, you know, videotape editing, which was all linear. And then the avid and nonlinear technology came into play. So I was working in, in uh, nonlinear technology. It was all computer software based. And I got a little overwhelmed with just the technology of everything and wanted to really get back into the nitty gritty of storytelling, get my hands dirty again. And so I quit everything. I went to art school and uh, I started working in sculpture and ceramic arts and photography a bit and um, was able to go to an even deeper level of storytelling. So, so I went from news, which is kind of surface everyday reporting into the deeper story of documentaries, which are longer format stories, but still other people's stories, you know, helping people put together their stories. And so I was like, I want to get into my stories using something that I can get my hands into, sink my hands into. So I started using clay a bit and getting into the darkroom, old-fashioned photography, like actually developing the film and, and printing in the darkroom and watching the stories come up. But from my own heart and soul and mind, from what I wanted to do. And it was awesome to have 100% control over the message I wanted to create and share. And um, that was extremely rewarding. And it sort of rejuvenated my love of story, reminded me why I wanted to do, do it in the first place. And it's a direct connect, right? When you're in the art gallery and you have pieces hanging there, someone's not at home looking at their TV, watching something that you created. Uh, you know, like the only time you get to see your audience, see your work in film and media is if you're actually in a theater during a screening, which is like a high, it's like doing a play. But in, in art, you get to anonymously sort of hang out in the art gallery and watch people look at your stuff and react to your stories. And um, I did a piece while I was there around online dating. It was kind of a new use of technology when I was in art school. And I, I was very curious, like, what, what is this all about? So I created a profile online. Uh, I was single at the time, so I thought, let's check it out. So I put a profile online and, and um, went on a few dates. And on the first date, um, I would say to this person, um, I'm doing an art project and I, I want you to be a part of my art project. Some of them got a little irritated and said, no thanks. But I would say 75% of the guys were like, sure, why not? So I would cast the guy in a role in my imagined future. But I, I would think, okay, what if I married this guy and had kids? So I borrowed kids from friends and went to the park and had this man swing the children and I would play the part of the wife and mother. And we shot a video like any family video you would see in the park. And, and then I did similar scenarios with four different men. One was a wedding, one was uh, hanging out in a cafe, but different 
future lives imagined as stories with different partners. And uh, I played the videos in loops on four different monitors hanging in the wall in the gallery with shopping tags hanging from underneath like you would see on a, on a television in a, in a store with associated symbols and icons and uh, profile information related to that exchange with the person online. And it was just really strange for me to walk past these monitors and see myself as different women, different moms, different partners to these men in alternate futures, you know? It was a really interesting way to use story to try different hats on and say, what would happen if, what would this look like if I was married with a kid at the local park? What would it look like if I had a cat and was hanging out in the cafe with, with this partner with no kids? What would it look like if, you know, I got married at City Hall and my friends were there celebrating around me? What would that look like? And it was very, very interesting to see the stories play out. That's an amazing story, and the, the thing that really strikes me is how far ahead of your time you were, because one of the hottest emerging fields for use of story in, in business is, and well, business and nonprofits really, is the idea of using story as a way to test out new ideas, alternate futures, explore opportunities. And it's really powerful because it's so cheap and easy. You know, you can sit down and sketch out a story yeah. with just a piece of paper and a pen. Right. I mean, obviously, you you went, you know, you took it much beyond that. But but the power of you know helping people imagine what if. Yes, yes, and that's and it was it was awesome because I was totally chicken to do online dating. Right, like I didn't really want to go on a date with a stranger, but I did want to see what that looked like, right? And, and I was fascinated by the fact that you're scrolling through a database of human beings thinking, oh, hmm, maybe I'll, maybe I'll go on a date with this person. And, and now it's tender. Like you literally just like swipe and look at a picture of somebody. But I, I was fascinated by the, the link with shopping, online shopping, and looking for a partner for your life. And uh, trying those hats on and trying different stories out allowed me to check out what that was all about without committing to doing it. I didn't have to choose one. I didn't have to actually do anything. And I presented right up front, I'm doing this art project. That's why I'm here. Are you interested? And then they joined in. So it's like, in an agreed sort of plan, move forward with what if, what if this, what if that, what if this, what if that? And it was very interesting because uh, the four men came to the art show and checked out the piece. And it was kind of an interesting dialogue that we all had about just the process of online dating, what it's all about, and how you can sort of try on different lives with different people and imagine, you know, what it might be like and in kind of an accelerated way as well, because sort of the same you would do on a blind date, or if someone introduced you to a friend, you would go on a date, but that would take maybe a year or months to unfold. Uh, and this way, it's like, you know, you're literally walking down the aisle of the grocery store going, oh, strawberry jam, blueberry jam, <laughs> Nutella, <laughs> you know, like, what am I going to pick, you know? And it's 
really, you know, unless you get a psychopath, which is very rare. Yes. <laughs> there are, they are out there. But, they are. But it's really risk-free. Yes. Right? Yes. And if you bring that back to an organizational environment, again, you know, if you're mm -hmm. going to launch a new business that you're going to sink, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions, billions of dollars into. Right. What better way to try it out and see if it might work? Exactly. Try it out. Tell the story. See what the outcome of the story might look like. And then change the parameters of your story and see if you like that outcome better. Like, is that a better outcome? Let's change this part of the story. Let's change our story arc. Let's uh, change our end game. What's our goal? Oh, we just realized that's not our goal. I don't want to get married and have kids. I didn't even have fun going to the park and swinging that kid. Maybe I just want to, you know, have a partner and a cat, you know? So you have a different goal in the end because you've tried on different stories and you're thinking, hmm, I can really imagine this now. I'm seeing it unfold through a story. And that's how we learn everything in life almost. You learn it through story. That's how we're taught as children. That's how we uh, learn. Like when I, when I studied in school, we, we make our bullet points. We make our stories. We see the outcomes of the information that we're digesting and learning and applying in life, you know? And uh, why not use story in, in every conceivable way, whether it's business, your personal life, your creative life, use story in so many different ways to find out what could different outcomes look like for what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. So, so then what? So now you've gone from journalism, you know, a media, film, TV career, gone through art school. Yep. So after art school, you know, debt accumulates again. <laughs> and uh, so I, I went back into editing uh, television shows and got back into telling stories for television and media and um, ended up um, moving to Los Angeles and working on shows like Survivor, which is, um, you know, you're, you're telling stories for entertainment. Uh, and, you know, the, the outcome for your employer is that you want a lot of eyeballs on the show and they're selling, selling the show and selling advertising. And so your goal is to entertain, but your goal is also to satisfy fans. You want fans to invest in the characters. So you're shaping stories to get people emotionally attached to characters so they care, which means they'll come back next week and watch again because there's something at stake. They're rooting for someone. They're a fan. It's like sporting events. You, you pick somebody you want to win in the end. So you're trying to influence uh, viewers that way and influence advertising dollars as well. So I did that for a while. And then after 10 years in Los Angeles working on unscripted stories for television, I moved back to Ottawa and uh, started working um, pitching ideas and working for corporate video again and working on some TV shows and um I'm going to I'm going to interrupt you there. Okay. So, I just want to go back to something that you said when you were talking about the work on Survivor because you talked about shaping stories. Yeah. And for me that's actually the heart of the whole process. Okay. You know, we call it storytelling. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay. But it's but it's actually really story design, right? Yes. We explicitly make choices in the way that we design stories okay. because we want them to do very specific things. Yes. And so, and I think that's the process that we don't talk about enough. And I think that's why people get hung up because they think it's all about how do I stand on the stage and project my voice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you have a terrible story, you can be the best presenter in the world, but your story is still honestly going to suck, right. right? And we're not investing enough time and energy in teaching people how to actually design stories to do what we want them to do. So maybe you can just tell me a bit about okay. how that works for you. Okay. It, that, that is true because if you're just telling a story, it's going to be flat. 
right? You're going to get a, a line that goes straight across and, and you lose your stakes. So we have to shape story in a way that um, makes people care about the story. And, and so in unscripted television, the way you do that is like on Survivor, the ratio is 300 to one. So for every one hour of Survivor you see on TV, there's 300 hours of footage. So you have to pick and choose which parts of every character's story arc you put together. And, and those choices are what make people care about a character. Because if I just told what happened that day with a character... It, it, it could be pretty boring or the person could be so annoying you don't care about them, right? Like, like you could see somebody operating all day and unless you pick the right three moments to show someone in tears perhaps or someone's vulnerable side for a moment, then nobody's going to care what happens to that character, you know? And vice versa. If someone is a little bit annoying but like, like you're trying to get people to root them off or root them on or be happy when they get booted off or be happy when they stay or get saved. And, and you're choosing the right moments to put next to each other and to build to the next episode, the next scene. So the story arcs are within a scene, across an episode, across multiple episodes and across an entire series. And you have to very carefully craft and design those arcs so that payoffs happen at the end of every arc. So you need a payoff at the end of the episode. You need a payoff at the end of the fourth or fifth episode, at the end of the entire season. These payoffs have to happen and the payoffs matter because of exactly the moments that you've chosen to tell their stories. And, and the same happens when you're crafting something for art or designing a story for a pitch is the moments of the story that you choose to tell from one point to the next, one plot point to the next builds. You make someone care and care and care until they're actually feeling and they feel something for the character. They feel about the story and the outcome matters to the person listening or watching. And that's how you change people's minds about things. That's how you have someone invested to become a fan to tune in every week. That's how you can change your own life, really. I mean, if you feel something about a story and a character, then you're not going to walk away from the story. You're going to wait it out. You're going to wait till the end to see what happens. And bringing that into an organizational setting, if it's a story about your strategy, you know, and how your organization is going to change the world, it's going to save the children, it's going to, you know, produce clean energy... If you start to care about the story and you can see yourself in the story, mm-hmm. now you're going to want to participate in it and you can see that you have a role to play in creating change. That's right. That's right. Because every character has to be human enough and every story has to be human enough so that we can see ourselves reflected in the story. Because, I mean, that's what entertainment is all about. That's what stories are all about is that there are ways for us to help other people imagine what it would be like to be a part of the story. You want people to relate. And the buy-in for storytelling is when you can get someone to feel that the outcome affects them. You know, how does the outcome affect your listener? And you don't want them to be so removed from the story that they're watching it from afar and they think the ending won't affect them one way or another. And the only way to get them to buy in and care about the ending 
so deeply that they believe it will affect their own lives is through feeling and emotion. And if you don't have the the emotion to grab someone's heartstrings and make them feel about the story so deeply that they believe that their own life will be affected by the outcome of the story, then your story is not crafted well enough. It has to be designed in order for that person to feel a personal stake in the outcome of the story. Tracy, you know, your stories are amazing and your, your insight and your expertise are so deep. I think what I'm going to suggest is that we actually do a couple of episodes here because I've got, I've just got so many more questions that I want to ask you. So we're going to do a little bit of a cliffhanger, awesome. right? Hollywood style. <laughs> and uh, we're going to wrap it up here and we're going to ask you to come back ne- next episode and uh, continue to share your stories. I would love to. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Forward, a podcast about how leaders use stories to shape the future. If you'd like to know more about how story design can help you develop and sell your big idea, get in touch at denisewithers.com.